This is Metal Chris of DCHeavyMetal.com, and today I've got a special guest on the phone with me, Sean Doolittle of the Washington Nationals. In addition to being a metalhead, Sean is also a closing pitcher on the Nats. He attended college at the University of Virginia, was drafted by the Oakland A's, who traded him to the Nationals in July of 2017, just a couple of weeks before the trade deadline last season. This will be Sean's first full season with the Nationals, and the team's home opening game will be on Thursday, April 5th, against the New York Mets. Now, Sean, I first found out that you are a metalhead a couple of weeks ago when my friend Lars Gottrich over at NPR added me in a retweet of a playlist you posted on Twitter that was full of metal songs that you played for the rest of the team during practice. You had a wide range of bands on there from old classics like Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden to newer bands like Chemist and Power Trip. I could tell right away that you are really into metal. So to get started here, can you tell me how you first got into listening to heavy metal? Oh, man, I guess I was introduced to it by my dad. I remember when we were kids, I was playing Little League or travel baseball. As early as eight or nine years old, when we would be going to the games in the minivan, we would be blasting Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne or ACDC or Metallica. And that was my introduction to it. That was a lot of the music that my dad was into and those long car trips and playing travel baseball. That was pretty much all we listened to. And then as I got older, I really started to branch out from there and explore a lot of really different kinds of metal. Yeah, I saw that you had some heavier stuff on that playlist like Death and At The Gates. Do you get into a lot of death metal bands? Yeah, I do. So like a little about that playlist, we have these big portable speakers at practice that we take out onto the fields with us, and the strength coach will essentially tell a guy the day before, hey, put together a playlist for practice tomorrow, and it'll be playing over the speakers as we're going through our day on the field. And I had politely declined like three times because I was like, I don't think anybody's really going to want to hear this. I don't know if guys will be able to really get that much done in practice with their faces melting off or if they're headbanging and they miss something that the coach just said or something like that. <laughs> so I tried to make it like a crash course, like an introduction to metal, starting with Black Sabbath and Judas Priest in the late 70s and early 80s kind of going through thrash and new wave British heavy metal. And, and then being in Florida right now for spring training, I had to make sure that I put death on there. I kind of go through phases of different kinds of music that I listen to, but death and obituary are two of my favorite death metal bands. And I always come back to, so I had to make sure that death has a spot on that playlist for sure. Now, I noticed you didn't have any black metal or grindcore on there. Are those genres you don't really like that much, or you just figured that might be too much for the other players to handle? A little bit of both, I guess. I don't really dabble in grindcore too much. Agoraphobic nosebleed, which is just one of my favorite combinations of words to say. Their earlier stuff was really grindcore, but the most recent release that they had... I think it was called Arc, like, yeah. Yeah, that was extremely my taste. That was really cool. I'm not exactly sure what subgenre that would fall into, but black metal, the playlist was an intro to it, but Tribulation, I love their new album. That would have been a worthy addition to the playlist, but no, I would say I tend to spend more time with thrash, death metal, and doom metal, probably. So what is your favorite subgenre of heavy metal, then? <laughs> it rotates, man. 
I'll be honest, I was spoiled. I played six years in Oakland, and the bands that came out of the Bay Area that were all from right around there, that Bay Area thrash sounds, obviously Metallica, Testament, and Death Angel, and Exodus. I was spoiled over there, and I got really into some of that stuff. But it rotates. I come down to Florida, and for the first like half of spring training, I was listening to a lot of death, obituary, and monstrosity, and malevolent creation, you know, that Tampa scene in the early 90s. It also kind of depends on what I'm doing at that time. If I have to do a workout or if I'm trying to get cardio in, I might listen to different things. I guess my tastes are really all over the place. So I also noticed you had a couple of bands with ties to our area, like Periphery and Animals as Leaders. So are there any other bands from around here that you're into? Yeah, I love Periphery. I've actually been listening to one of their side projects, Haunted Shores. It's like instrumental, right? Yeah, it's all instrumental. I really like it. I've been listening to that a lot during spring training. The other DC band, the Agoraphobic Nosebleed EP that we talked about, ARC, I listen to that a lot. I listen to, I don't know how to say it because I've never heard it pronounced. Is it Ilsa? Yeah, Ilsa. Uh, yeah, that new <laughs> Corpse Fortress, which I think is a amazingly good metal name for an album. So there's a I've story behind the name of that album, actually. There used to be in Silver Spring a little DIY house show venue. And bands coming through on tour would play the basement of this place all the time. And it was called the Corpse Fortress. And I think one or two of the guys from Ilsa actually lived there back then. And at some point, the landlord found out and kicked everybody out kind of thing. But there's probably a good four or five years there where I saw some awesome bands play there that later were getting signed to these labels and stuff. And Ilsa's one of them. So it's kind of a nod to the local metalheads here, I think, that they named it Corpse Fortress. That wasn't a coincidence, I'm sure. That's awesome, actually. That's a really cool story. I think you like it even more. I've been playing it nonstop for the last week, but that's really cool. So Bryce Harper has been seen hanging out with the local rapper Wale before. Is there anyone from the D.C. area music scene that you'd go hang out with, maybe catch a show at the 930 Club or something? Shoot, man, any of the guys from those bands that I just talked about, I have talked a very little bit with Mark Holcomb from Periphery and would love to cross paths with them at some point. The guys for Animals as Leaders are one of my favorite groups. I'm not a morning person, but in the morning I get to the field, I throw on some Animals as Leaders and just go really get lost in my morning routine, my stretches and some of the exercises that I have to do every day. It's a really good way to start my day. But no, man, any of those guys from those D.C. bands it would be really cool to hang out with or have them out at the field or something. That would be really neat. Well, I do know a few of those guys, so maybe I'll pass it along. Hopefully they'll read or listen to this interview anyway. <laughs> so before you yeah, were on man. the Nats, you were with the Oakland A's for several years, and every metalhead knows of the Bay Area's famous thrash scene, like we were already talking about, bands like Metallica, Testament, Exodus, Death Angel, Forbidden. All these bands came from there. So while you were out there, did you ever get to meet any of the members from any of those classic thrash bands? Yeah, I did, actually. I got to meet the guys from Metallica a couple times because I've used Metallica's For Whom the Bell Tolls as my intro song since 2012, since my rookie year. You know, at the time, I just felt like there was a cool connection between Metallica and the Bay Area, especially an older Metallica song like that. And we also had another pitcher in our bullpen. He came out to one. 
So we had a couple guys with Metallica songs that were pitching back-to-back in the later innings of the game, which was really cool, and the crowd would headbang. They had this kind of choreographed headbang dance that they did to the song, which was really neat, but I ended up getting to meet them a couple times. One time they did a show in Berkeley at, I believe it was Amoeba Records, for Record Store Day. They played a full set in this record store. They threw up a stage in the corner, and they closed the place down. It was tough to get into. I had to pull my Major League Baseball player's card <laughs> to be able to get in, but I've gotten to know their manager a little bit, and he's become a really good friend, and he's hooked me up more than once, and I really appreciate it. So they play this show for maybe like a couple hundred people, and then they threw this party at the house they used to live in in, I believe it's El Cerrito, over by Berkeley. They found the house they used to live in when they were first starting out in the early 80s, and they paid the people that live there now to kind of take it over for 24 hours, and then they redecorated it like it used to look. And there were a bunch of people there that they were friends with, especially early on in their careers, but it was such a surreal experience. My wife and I were there. I brought another teammate of mine along and kind of just tried to stay out of the way for most of the night and just watch. But I got to meet the guys from Metallica were there, and that was really cool. I also got to meet Rob Flynn and Phil Demmel from Machine Head, which was really cool. They're big baseball fans, and they came to several games. And we had Rob's son, his Little League team. We had him out. We had him on the field one day before a game. That was really, really cool. Rob hooked me up with one of his signature guitars which is one of the coolest things I've ever been given. So, yeah, like I said, like I was pretty spoiled in the Bay Area, but I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about this D.C. metal scene. On Friday the 13th of April, the Nationals play a home game against the Colorado Rockies. The first 25,000 fans that enter the stadium will be getting a bobblehead of you. And don't get me wrong, that's pretty cool, but in 2016, when you were on the A's still... They gave away a lawn gnome of you that had you throwing the metal horns and wearing a black Metallica shirt. And when you push a button on it, it would play segments from For Whom the Bell Tolls, which, as you said, was your intro music. Now, how did that come about? (laughs) That was really cool, man. That was a fun project to work on because they let me have some input on the design of it. And I said I wanted something different. And they said, well, what about something that had audio? The fans had really taken to my intro song. Like I said, they had this really cool kind of headbang. Oakland has a group of fans in the bleachers who got really into it and it kind of made a thing out of it. And so they wanted to tie that in somehow. And in order for me to be wearing a Metallica shirt, we had to get permission from the band to wear it. So that was the beginning of getting hooked up with Metallica and meeting their manager. I ended up being able to go to their headquarters in San Rafael and kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at their metal laboratory slash hangout, which was really, really cool. Yeah, and like the beard, the ginger beard that they threw on there had almost like troll doll hair. This thing was really cool. The bobblehead that they have now, the Nationals one, it... (laughs) It's eerie how much it looks like me. I was involved a little bit in the process of making it, and this one, I'm in a national uniform, and it doesn't have noise, but it's so well done. I hope people don't give it to their dogs as like a dog toy or something like that. (laughs) I hope hope they at least find a spot for it on their desk or something. Well, I'm wondering, do you think there's a way we'll ever get something that metal for the Nats to give away? I hope so, man. I hope so. 
Man, the fans in D.C. have really welcomed me, and they've supported me so much. I feel like I've played here for a really long time. When I come into the game now and they play the intro song, they have these bells that look like they're ringing on the video board. They're starting to expand that and kind of take it and run with it a little bit. And, you know, the fans, I think, if I can continue to pitch well and and they continue to like me, then, um, yeah, we might be able to come up with something like that, something a little bit different and a little bit more metal. Yeah, it seems like metal, slowly but surely, is starting to become something a little more visible in the sports world and hopefully the rest of the world. Did you happen to catch the Hungarian figure skater Ivette Toth at the Olympics? Because she came out in a studded leather battle jacket with a back patch on it for her performance at the Olympics and was skating around to back in black and thunderstruck by ACDC. And I'm not a huge fan of figure skating, but that was pretty amazing, I thought. Do you think there's anything about heavy metal that some athletes would really be drawn to? That's actually awesome. I did not know that about the figure skater, but as soon as we're done here, I'm probably going to YouTube it. I think there's a lot of parallels between metal, music, and sports. When my playlist was playing, there were a lot of guys that this was new to them, right? They never really heard any, I guess, extreme metal, and they were like, well, why do they sound so angry? This song sounds exactly like the song before it. What is going on? The more you listen to it, the more you can get a feel for the vocals, and you can actually hear the lyrics, and you can learn what they're singing about. And a lot of the songs, there's a substance to the lyrics, right? They're telling a story, or there's some kind of social commentary there, or there's some weight maybe behind it. And then as far as the instrumentals go, the music itself, being able to play that fast or that loud or multiple guitar parts interweaving or overlapping over each other or the drum parts, that's what sports is all about. You have all these moving parts that come together, they fit perfectly together, and it forms a really cohesive product at the end. And you spend a lot of time right on the verge of being out of control, but you still are able to do all these really specific, really intricate movements. I think there's the team aspect. If you got one of the musicians in the band that's not pulling his weight, it's going to bring the quality of the music down. Same thing is true in sports. I feel like there's a lot there. It also just gets me a little bit more fired up than some other kinds of music. I know Hall of Fame pitcher Randy Johnson is a big fan of music, and now that he's retired, he's taken up photography, including something that I love to do, which is concert photography. He shot bands from several different musical genres, including some metal bands like Slayer, Lamb of God, and Judas Priest, to name a few. Have you ever met the big unit? And if so, have you ever asked him about his taste in metal at all? I've never actually met him, but a few years ago in spring training, I was at a concert that he was at working. He was there to take pictures of it. You talk about like your two interests at the center of a Venn diagram. I have Randy Johnson, Hall of Fame pitcher, taking pictures of this concert that I was at. It was an All That Remains concert in Tempe a few years ago, and it was just really cool. His work is really, really good, but because he's so tall, he's 6'10", he kind of sticks out, you know? During the show, it was funny to see him he would all of a sudden just appear and like rise up from above the drum kit and take a picture and then 
slowly just kind of crouch back down behind it. And then you wouldn't see him for a little bit. And then the next song, all of a sudden, he would pop up from behind the amplifiers on one side of the stage. And you're like, <laughs> oh my God, there he is again. And then he would go back down and then he would come out in front of the stage and shoot. And it was just funny because we were watching the show because I was with a group of baseball players and we were watching the show, but we were also mind blown by the fact that Randy Johnson was taking pictures like this and we were trying to figure out where he was going to go next. We were off to the side of the stage before the show and he was walking around back there. I didn't want to bother him. We didn't want to like fanboy and bother him, but it was funny to watch him interact with members of some of the other bands that were there and wonder if they really had a concept of who this guy was. They might know that he played baseball before, but do they really know that this is one of the best pitchers of all time? That was really neat. So do you know any other Major League Baseball players that are really into heavy metal? There's a few that I've played with over the years. There was a team that I played with in Oakland in 2012 and 13 that had some pretty serious metal heads on it. A guy named Travis Blackley, he's an Australian, and he was into all kinds of metal. He gravitated a little bit more towards some of the bands from his home country, Parkway Drive and bands like that. And we had another Australian guy in the bullpen, Grant Balfour. He was super into heavy metal. He was the other guy that used the Metallica song to come out from the bullpen. Pat Neshek, he's with the Phillies now, but he was a metalhead. John Axford, I played with him in Oakland. Now he's in camp with the Blue Jays. He's a big metalhead. He was actually helping me with my playlist, and he was making sure that I put Meshuggah and Sepultura on there. Those were bands that he played a lot in the weight room when we were in Oakland together. So there's a handful of us out there. We're kind of few and far between, but it's a good fraternity for sure. So when you did play that playlist at that practice, did you make any conversions? Did any of the other players actually <laughs> find a band or two that they really liked or anything like that? You know, um, not really. <laughs> Like I said, the playlist was kind of in chronological order. And as we got towards some of the songs that I had put on there from the mid-2000s, I had a Slipknot song on there, had a Disturbed song on there, a Kill Switch Engage song, and All That Remains song. Some guys recognized that stuff. I put a Volbeat song on there and a Five Finger Death Punch song on there. Those are bands that get played in the weight room right now. Actually, we had a pitcher last year. He's still on the team now a guy named Ryan Madsen who came out to a chemist song last year. So I put a chemist song on the metal playlist and guys like that. They seem to like when they can clearly understand the word and would prefer clean singing to some of the screams or the growls. But we get some heavier stuff that plays in the weight room, but it's usually in the vein of a bold beat or a five finger death punch or disturbed or something like that. I kind of took it to the next level and definitely blew some people's minds. So when do you usually listen to music anyway? Just sort of like driving in the cars and mostly when you're working out or doing warm-ups or when do you like to listen to music? Yeah, it's mostly when I'm around the field in the weight room. You know, I'll put my headphones on and when I'm, Doing my warm-up before practice or working out after practice or getting in some kind of running, I feel like i got to have my music to get me through some of that stuff. And right before the game, I actually go the complete opposite direction and I'll meditate and put on something like instrumental. I've realized, maybe I'm getting older, but I've realized that I pitch better when I'm a little bit calmer. And if I get super jacked up before the game, sometimes I take the mound and I'm a little bit over-amped. But then right after the game, 
while the adrenaline's still flowing, they'll put it back on to do whatever post-game stuff I have to do. If I pitch that night, a lot of times I have to work out or do some kind of arm exercises to kind of shut it down after I throw. And so, I mean, pretty much when I'm at the field, but one of my favorite things to do, my wife can attest to this, is just to throw my headphones on grab my laptop and just sit on the couch and listen to music. I'll have the TV on, but I obviously can't hear it. And whether I'm on iTunes or Spotify, just trying to find new bands or like listening to new stuff that I hadn't heard before and kind of exploring a little bit. And that's one of my favorite things to do, calm down and just maybe get away from baseball for a little while and just listen to music. I've got a few typical metal questions that I'd like to ask. I think I know the answer to the first one, but who do you prefer, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. <laughs> so what do you think about in Black Sabbath? Do you like Ozzy or Dio better? Ozzy, just because that was kind of the original, and that was also what I heard first. You know how like, whenever you hear first, it's kind of like the thing that you associate it with the most, whether that was actually the thing that came first or not. So I love Dio, and I made sure that I had some Dio on that playlist. But I have to say Ozzy. All right, so how about with Anthrax? Do you prefer Joey Belladonna or John Bush era? I haven't gotten into Anthrax. And I'm from New Jersey. I'm from close to where they're from. I need to get on the train. So actually, I'll flip this on you and ask, where should I start with their catalog? Because that's part of the problem is that I don't know where to start, and it feels pretty overwhelming. If I'm going to start, where should I start with? I think most people would say... Among the Living is probably where you would start with Anthrax. Okay. That's sort of their classic album. When they play an album straight through, it's usually that one. Okay. Now, currently, they've got Joey Belladonna back in the band, so that might be part of it, too, because I do not believe that he does the songs with John Bush. John Bush is now the singer for Armored Saint, so he's still doing stuff, too, just not with Anthrax. Okay. Well, another question, then, is what's the best metal concert you've ever been to? Oh, man. Let's see. I don't get to as many as I really would like to because we travel so much. And in the off season, I tend to be a little bit of a homebody and just kind of recharge my batteries for a couple months. But in 2016, I saw Corrosion of Conformity and Lamb of God at the Fox Theater in Oakland. And that was awesome. That was really cool. That was actually the last one that I've been to. Jeez Louise. So I would probably say that one. I got to talk to Randy after the show, which was really cool to just even meet him. That was really awesome. What was your first metal concert then? I didn't go to a metal concert for a while. The first one I went to was, I think it was in 2012. I went to a show in Tempe, saw The Ghost Inside. I went with aforementioned Travis Blackley, a teammate of mine who was on the A's. We were on the A's together. And, yeah, we saw the ghost inside and stray from the path. I guess that's hardcore, post-punk hardcore, whatever you want to call it. But it was heavy, and it was fucking awesome. Do you play any instruments? No, I don't. I, I want to, but I played the piano growing up, and I played it all the way up into high school, but... Shoot, I don't even think I could do that anymore. I don't even know if I could still read music, but no, I don't play any instruments. I don't really have that much rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's your all-time favorite band then? All-time favorite bands. I have to start with Metallica, and from there, I don't know, man. Like, you could ask me this question next week, and it could be totally different, but the ones that I come back to the most, I would say Metallica, Black Sabbath, 
Def, Machine Head, and Mashuga. All right, all right. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty good selection there. Yeah, I think that would be my top five. But after a disclaimer, subject to change. <laughs> so what's the most influential album to you? You know, everybody's kind of got an album that really just means something to them or changed the way they looked at music or something like that. For me, I think it's Metallica's Ride the Lightning. I know this is turning into a Metallica podcast, and I apologize for that. <laughs> it's all right, but, man. Um, it's all right. <laughs> that was the first album that I bought with my allowance money when I was a kid. I remember if I was, like, shopping with my mom, and I was good. I got to go to the music store. I think I bought it when I was in maybe fifth grade. No, seventh grade. It was seventh grade. I had some friends in school that liked Metallica, and... I had listened to the Black Album a lot. My dad would play it in the car and stuff, but I wanted this one. I was super drawn to the album artwork, and I remember I bought it. I'd never heard it before. I just thought it looked really cool, and I knew it was Metallica, so I wanted it. I bought it. I brought it home. I put it in my boombox in my room, and I pressed play, and the song opens with acoustic guitars. And I was like, oh, shit, I bought the wrong album. What is this? I don't understand. And keep in mind, I'm in seventh grade. I'd never heard Fight Fire with Fire before. And they start with these hauntingly beautiful acoustic guitars. And then all of a sudden, the thrash just hits you right in your face. And I was like, yes, yes, this is what I need. And then by the end of that evening, my parents were throwing stuff at the ceiling because I was playing my music too loud in my room. <laughs> that was one of my first metal album purchases as well. I remember showing it to my dad, being like, hey, I'm going to buy this, okay? And I remember him flipping it over to look at the songs on the back, and I was like, there's no way in hell he's going to let me get this album with these songs like Fight Fire with Fire and Trapped Under Ice and things like that on it. And he read them over, and he's like, all right, you can get it. And I was like, oh, no way. I just remember being so excited that he even let me buy it, you know, with my own money, but still. And I found out years later that the real thing he was looking for at that time was he just wanted to make sure the songs weren't all about sex. You know, he didn't mind that there's some electric chair on the cover of this thing, and it was called Ride the Lightning. <laughs> so somehow I ended up getting that, and, uh, and I played the hell out of that tape. It was one of the first tapes I had that actually wore out from how many times I'd played it. That's awesome. And it didn't have the parental advisory warning on the front. Exactly. So like, how bad could it be, right? You talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'd like to know, how do you find new music, new metal bands to check out? you have certain websites or magazines, or what do you use to find new stuff? I read Decibel. I found a lot of stuff on there, but really one of my favorite things to do is on iTunes, I'll go to the iTunes store, and they always have albums in the metal genre section. There's albums that are featured, there's new music, new releases, and I'll just click on one, and I'll start listening to it, and then, depending on how I'm feeling, I'll go to Related, and scroll down, and check out other bands that are either Related, or other songs people bought, you know, people who bought this also bought this, and just kind of check it out, and the next thing I know, I've gone down this metal rabbit hole, where I'm listening to stuff I've never even heard of before, and then sometimes I'll Google an album to look at the review to see, is this really as good as I think it is? But most of the time, I just bounce around iTunes for hours listening to different stuff that I'd never heard of before or start with an album that I have in my library and go from there. It's a good way to kill three or four hours. Yeah, I do some similar stuff like that. I'm always digging for new stuff, too. So what have been some of your favorite albums of late in the last, say, year? Let's see, I really, really, really like the new Power Trip album. I guess that came out last year. Yeah, Nightmare um, Logic, that's a great album. I thought 2017 was a really good year for metal. 
I have no idea what other people thought about it, but the newest Paul Bearer album, Heartless, I really liked. The Haunted came back with a new album that I really liked, Strength in Numbers. I played the hell out of that. I don't listen to a ton of new stuff. A lot of the stuff I listen to is older. I played those three a lot. I know Obituary had a new one last year that I thought was really good. By Art is Murder. I like that one. Dear Desolation, I think it was called. Fit for an Autopsy. Jersey guys. I'm originally from New Jersey, so I like that one a lot. Those are ones that I listened to quite a bit. Now, you're saying you were from New Jersey before. You're down from, like, the Philly area, right? So you probably grew up a yeah. Phillies fan, and now you're on the Nationals. How is that going? Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome, actually. But one of the coolest things is now I share a bullpen with Brian Madsen, who we talked about before. He was a, a really big part of those Phillies teams in 08 and 09 that went to the World Series. So now to play with him, to share a bullpen with him, and learn from him every day is such a cool experience. By the time those teams, they went to the World Series, I was already in the Oakland Athletics minor league system, but growing up in the Philly area and having friends from there and Having been a Phillies fan before I'd gotten drafted, I was paying attention to it, and I knew how much that run that they made mattered to Phillies fans and the city of Philadelphia and stuff like that. So for that part of it to come full circle was really cool. And I finally got to play in Citizens Bank Park last year for the first time since I was in high school. I played in a high school tournament. that We got to play one game at Citizens Bank Park. But to be able to play there in the major leagues was, it was really cool. It was one of the only stadiums I hadn't played in in my career. And I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It was really a special experience. You also are a UVA grad. You played for the Cavaliers there before you were drafted by the A's. So I have to ask, mm -hmm. how are you doing with that UMBC win the other night? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this is good. Let's see. It took like 40 minutes to get to bringing that up. So I appreciate that because there have been several people, namely my teammates, that could not wait to bring that up. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. The second half, it was so ugly that I think I went through all of the stages of grieving in the last 10 minutes of the game. And by the end of it, I was like, all right. I watched the UMBC game the other night because I wanted them to win. I think objectively... It would have been a really fun game to watch if you weren't a UVA fan. I just feel for the coach, Tony Bennett. I feel for the seniors on that team for all that they've accomplished in their careers at UVA. They won 31 games and they won the ACC regular season and conference tournament. But at the end of the day, this is probably what's going to define them. And I just feel for them, man. I feel for them, but shoot. There's always next year. And if anything, it just shows how lucky we are to have Tony Bennett as a coach, the guy running that program, has handled it better than could have ever hoped for. Never think that's going to happen, but that's sports. Yeah, I was actually at a metal show the night of that going on in Baltimore. So, you know, the people up in Baltimore oh, were, were pretty excited about that. Nobody believed it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was happening. <laughs> it happened. Oh, man. Jeez. Yeah, I bet Baltimore was going nuts. It was probably a different vibe than my apartment. I was pacing around for two hours. Now, there's something more serious I'd like to talk with you about. Doing research for this interview, I quickly discovered that along with being a metalhead and a major league pitcher, you're also quite the philanthropist. In June of 2015, the A's had a gay pride night, which apparently got a lot of backlash from some of the team's fans 
And you and your wife bought hundreds of tickets to that game and donated them to local LGBTQ groups. In November of the same year, you two hosted 17 families of Syrian refugees for Thanksgiving dinner. And you've done things like publicly denounced Donald Trump after his awful grabbed them by the pussy comments. And you work for a charity that helps veterans called Operation Finally Home. Now, I come from a Navy family myself, and I'd like you to tell me what this charity does for veterans. Okay, so Operation Finally Home is an awesome charity that they're based in New Braunfels, Texas, kind of near San Antonio, and they help military families all over the country. And they build mortgage-free, brand-new homes for wounded veterans and their families or families of the fallen. What's awesome is they take into account the needs of the veteran, whether it's the mother or the father of the family, and if there's any specific things that they need for the house that needs to be wheelchair accessible or something like that. That way they're not getting a house that's retrofitted or something that's been lived in already. They get a brand new house. A couple things that really stand out to me is the way that they get the community involved in the process of building the house because they go into these communities, these towns across the country, and they find local contractors and builders and workers that are willing to donate their time or their materials so that they're all kind of invested in welcoming this family into their new home and into their community and seeing the way that these families go from serving their country to serving their community, becoming really involved in some of the community activities that they have going on. This is like the biggest thing that they could have possibly taken off their plate is having a place to live, having a new home. And it's been amazing to keep in touch with some of these families and see how involved they get in their communities and how much that they take this opportunity and make the absolute most of it. And it's a great organization. We've worked with them for several years. And every Christmas, my wife and I, it's one of our favorite things to do. We go shopping for a couple of these families so that their first Christmas in their new home is a little bit more special and extra memorable. And we make sure that there's plenty of presents under their tree and just let them know that there's people that are thinking about them and with everything that they've been through, we just want their first Christmas in their new home to be everything that they envisioned that it could possibly be. They've worked with a handful of families in the D.C. area as well, and we're looking forward to getting involved with them and doing some more stuff with them because they're a really special group. Do you know how people can donate or other ways they can help this group? Yeah, you can go on Operation Finally Homes website, you, know, you can get a bunch of information there. You can check out projects that they have around the country. They have a map that shows some projects that are currently in progress, and you can see if you can get involved or help out with any of those. You can donate on there. So I would just say check out operationfinallyhome.org, and you can learn a lot more about it there. One of the cool things that they do is they always surprise the families in like a weird way when they're least expecting it. They might think that their surprise is that they got to go to a Houston Texans game or something like that. And then the next thing you know, they find out while they're at the game, they get surprised with the news that they're getting a new house. And to see their reaction, to see how much it means to them, it's pretty heavy stuff. And it's a good example of just how special of an organization it is. Well, I know it's easy to talk about respecting and supporting veterans. But you and your wife, Aaron, really do walk the walk, and I do respect you a lot for that. So that's pretty much it for my questions here. Thanks for taking the time to do all this with me. I know you guys had a spring training game today, and I'm sure you get more and more busy as the regular season approaches. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the Metalheads and the Nationals fans in the D.C. area? 
<laughs> no, man, just that I'm looking forward to getting back to D.C., and I'm looking forward to a fresh start to a new season. And the NAF fans have been so welcoming to me and my wife since we've come over. We can't wait to get back to work. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you letting me talk about Operation Finally Home. And both my wife and I come from military families, so veterans' issues are something that are very, very important to us. We try to stay involved in, so we'll probably be doing some more of that stuff this year as well. All right, man. Well, thanks again for coming on here with me, and let's hope the Nationals have another great run this year. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Take it easy.